What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Mullet Cast, the podcast where business and pleasure collide. My name is Evan Balmer. Follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Today, I'm joined by Austin Walker. Austin is a sales leader for Avanade, the world's leading Microsoft service implementation partner. He's a life coach. Um, he's a University of Maryland football alumni, um, and he's currently out on the road in America. What's going on, Austin? How's it going, Evan? Very well. I'm uh, excited to be here, man. Yeah, thank Thanks you. for having me. Um, and more <laughs> importantly, I want to also mention that you are a podcast um, co-creator and co-host of Perpenthicity. Um, people can follow Perpenthicity, find that on the iTunes podcast and also on Instagram at Perpenthicity. So why don't you sure. tell me about your podcast a little bit? Sure. So the podcast is actually a relatively new venture uh, between uh, my co-host and myself. Uh, his name is Derek Cahill. I actually met him uh, a few years ago at my previous working experience. And isn't it funny when you just, no matter what setting you meet somebody in life, but when you just click and you align, you just kind of like know there's something there. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though uh, kind of we both have gone on our own different paths, I'm with a different organization now, we've stayed really strong. And uh, I think the one thing that Derek and I, we view the world in a very, very similar way, but we both have very different mechanisms in how we go in creating whatever we want. Um, so we, we're just naturally uh, just chatting over the phone one day about seven months ago and said, you know, we should do a podcast. And um, we were both going through or had been through various phases of purpose identification in ourselves in terms of answering some of the bigger questions in life in terms of, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, what is it that I want to create or how do I want to use my earthly life? And, you know, we figured that, you know, a lot of people were probably asking themselves these types of questions, but I don't know if it's a taboo conversation or maybe a lot of people may not be vulnerable enough to be able to, you know, share that, hey, I'm not really sure of where I'm trying to go or how I'm going to get there. So we thought, you know, our voice could be a, a help to people in either similar situations to ourselves. So um, I guess to make a long story longer, the podcast is, it's called Perpenthicity. It's a portmanteau between purpose and authenticity. Mm -hmm. And basically it's devoted to helping you um, on your purpose journey, whether you have no idea what your purpose is or you have a very crystal clear alignment. And our focus is to use our life experiences, our stories, our insights to help you get 1% closer to whatever it is that uh, you want to, you want to create in life. And uh, the second element of that is to live in authenticity, uh, but just because we believe that is we're all at our best when we're truly just being ourselves. And there's a lot of things in our world today that I think that try and shy you away from being yourself or trying to conform to other societal norms or maybe fear of how you're going to be accepted and, uh, you know, we really feel that the, 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 the special sauce is, is really when you're at the core of your authenticity. So, mm. uh, yeah, over brief overview of the podcast for you there. That's cool. So when did these ideas like sort of occur to you, um, like the idea of living like a purpose driven life and authenticity, like, do you remember when those sort of became important to you? <sighs> You know, I've always been, a, I'd say, more of a type A person, so I've always tried to have a plan and say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be at this part of my life, and first of all, you know, re life doesn't typically go according to your plans, but, I, you know, here's, I, I believe, 
when you get to a point in life where money isn't your primary focus anymore, you begin to look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was my early 30s. And look, not to say that you know money is not an issue; it's still definitely a, you know a big issue in my life. But it's not my number one focus anymore in terms of you know I'm financially independent. I can stand on my own two feet. I can you know reasonably live and have the experiences that I want. You st- I, I you know I just started sitting back and thinking. Well, do I want to be doing what I'm doing for the next 20, 30, 40 years? And how are my actions impacting and helping others? So I'd say it was this, honestly, it was probably about this eight or nine month period of, I guess, self-reflection and just doing a lot of, you know, introspective, I guess, analysis of myself in terms of, you know, what it is that I want to be known for. Um, You know, when, when I'm no longer here, how will people remember me? And as I looked at that, what I was doing in my day to day didn't reflect of ultimately where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I kind of found the realization that, you know, my purpose is to help others. And as I refine that even further, I'd be like, my purpose very well may be to help other people find their purpose. So um, it's been a cool revelation. And, you know, once you have it, now it's okay, well, now what can I do to start? you know, making this actually a, a, a reality. Mm-hmm. So the podcast is uh, certainly a, you know, a tool in the tool belt to do that. It gives you a larger audience and a, just a really easy way to share your ideas and thoughts. So um, again, it was all really based on that, uh, that early thirties time frame where you start thinking, it's like, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, it's <laughs> like, I know I'm supposed to go to college. I know I'm supposed to get a job and okay, I've done that, but now what? Right. So yeah, interesting time for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's interesting to me, like I encountered those feelings a lot, like at different, um, like sometimes it's major world events. Sometimes it's like just personal events. Um, you know, for, I, I remember when my first child was born and then that's one of those like kind of milestones that you're like, what's it all mean? What yeah, am I right? doing? <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> why am I wasting my time? Time to be an adult. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, um, the world's different. Um, so it's interesting that, um, and I think about it for me again, it hit, um, you know, it's a weird time is like when you and I first talked about doing this podcast together, we kind of anticipated like, you know, uh, we'll talk about what you do. We'll talk about your podcast. We'll talk about, um, you know, life coaching, those kind of things. And then suddenly the world's a lot different today, um, than it was when we had that conversation. Um, and for, oh, yeah. and for me, like in the wake of everything, um, you know, set aside like coronavirus, that was a big, you know, thing going on in the world where you're suddenly like, you know, maybe I need to do things differently also, but now you have, um, yeah. George Floyd and, you know, that hit me again, like one of those things of like really trying to find your purpose and, and what's my purpose like in the world going forward from here and how can I, um, you know, make a change or how can I help move things forward? And I, so it's interesting that sometimes these big things finally get you back to thinking about something as important as what your purpose is. Well, sure. I mean, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, some people may need like a visceral life moment or a milestone to happen to have them say, Hey, you know, think about the world and their position in it differently. You know, others, you might just wake up one day and you, you, you feel something, 
which is you know, I think it is such an important message to be talking about in terms of just your purpose and what do you want is because it can be so, it can be different for so many different people. I mean, everyone has their own unique, different uh, purpose journey. So again, where, wherever you are on that, I think it, there can be a lot to benefit from having those real conversations with yourselves and really identifying, you know, what it is that you want, what do you want to stand for? What do you want to create? And I feel as though once you kind of have the bigger picture, so to speak, you know, somewhat figured out, it's easier to control the day to day and understand where you're trying to go. Mm. And the other thing I found is like the first time I really had this conversation was working with a coach myself. Um, you know, yeah. and, and the idea of finding your purpose to me sounded so huge and monumental. And it's like something I felt like I struggled with for years. Like I, you know, I have no, idea, I had no idea why I was doing anything I did, you know? Um, and then once I had that conversation with a coach, like, we kind of identified a purpose in like a really short period of time, you know, like it's kind of a quick, surprisingly how quick of an exercise it can be. You know, it's fascinating. It's one of those things where it's like, once your eyes are open to it, you can't close it again. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, wait, I, I, I found this thing and I, I, I can't ignore it anymore. Uh, you know, I, we were even talking about this in our, our pre uh, planning call. I mean, it's, you know, almost sit there and think, well, like, what was I doing all this time before I had this realization? <laughs> right. right? It's like, was I just, was I just out here? Was I just, and, you know, I asked, I asked myself the same thing. And I, I also don't think it's a, like a light bulb moment in terms of, oh, I have my purpose. And then like, okay, I'm done with it. So now I'm just going to go execute on that throughout your whole life. I mean, mm -hmm. I think your purpose evolves and changes as we grow as humans and as we go through different experiences. So it's very static to say the, to say the least. It's always moving. It's dynamic. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I feel as though once you at least start having the conversation with yourself, it becomes easier to kind of like follow the trail and know where at least where you're trying to go from a purpose perspective. Right. And I even found that it's like, you know, after a little while, like um, I started having that conversation, like I, I wasn't satisfied with the answer I came up with, you know, <laughs> so it's like time to, <laughs> let's like reevaluate this purpose. Yeah, I'm not sure like, I, I'm connecting with that right now, you know? Uh, yeah. so it's cool that now you're, you know, you've gone beyond finding your purpose and, you know, whether it's through your podcast or coaching, you're helping other people, um, find theirs. And what's that process been like for you? Well, it's been fascinating. I mean, it, it's a lot that's happened relatively quickly. I mean, uh, I'd say, let's say I started the podcast in October or the, the planning process in October. We didn't release our first podcast until uh, the last week of December of 19. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I started the coaching uh, in February. So it's June today. So it feels like the last six months have just been like light speed in terms of just different things that I've been introduced to, different things that I've been learning. And but I will say this, it feels right. So when I'm, uh, me and my partner are on the podcast and we're talking about topics that are important to us and that we think are going to resonate with people and that are helpful, it just, it feels different. It feels different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I love that process and specifically on the coaching, it's very similar to what we're doing on the podcast, but it's, of course, it's a lot more intimate one-on-one. -on -one. And I'd say with the general philosophy with coaching is, 
you know, just trying to support people to be the best version of themselves as consistently as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like as humans, you know, we all have these moments where it's like, well, I think I'm in the zone right now. I'm here. And that's like, well, how can you like stay in that zone longer or choose to be in that zone? Right. And, you know, as a coach yourself, Evan, uh, you understand as you start peeling back the onion, there's a lot of factors that go into this. So the ability to work with someone, wanting one, and really have their best intentions in mind, uh, bring a layer of awareness, of accountability, uh, and support in terms of whatever it is they want to create is personally very fulfilling for me. So uh, I've extremely enjoyed the process of just working one-on-one with people. And I think as you start doing things that are more aligned to your purpose, there's just, again, this feeling that you have when you finish your work where you're just kind of like, you know, I, like, I, I like what I'm doing. I feel proud of, you know, my accomplishments. I feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's probably the bigger difference from the type of work that I'm doing now than I'd say earlier in my life where it was really all paycheck motivated, which again, is, is not bad. I mean, we all do need money, you know, and we will continue to do so. But thinking that you had an impact on somebody else's life or how they view the world or how they view their specific or unique experience or circumstance. I mean, it's just, it just feels really, really good to have done that, to have been an influence in a positive manner. Right. That's really cool. So what started, um, what captured your attention about coaching and how did you get into it? And, you know, were you working with a coach yourself before you decided to to become a coach? Yeah. Yeah. This coaching thing. So I have an athletic background. I played football at university of Maryland. And I was one of those guys, a little bit of backstory. When I said, I'm done playing, I'm never going to coach because it's just just not the same. Mm -hmm. And then of course the year after I finished, uh, playing, I I was a coach. I coached high school defensive coordinator back in my alma mater in Virginia. And, uh, you know, it was, that was my first realization that I really enjoyed working and supporting with people, uh, particularly the youth. Uh, it was fun to help guide people to be in positions of success or achieve what they wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. So I guess now as we fast forward into the type of coaching that we do is, I'd say, very different from a you know a football instructor, so to speak. But the general sentiment of helping people is still very much alive and present. So as I was going through this really introspective period of my life and trying to understand what it is that I want to do, uh, one thing I do credit myself for is that I try to associate myself with people who have, uh, were a lot smarter, wiser, uh, and have more experience than myself. Right. So, uh, in just linking up with a couple of my mentors, uh, one of my mentors was actually a participant in the accomplishment, uh, coaching training program, which is the ontological coaching program that Evan and uh, myself are a part of currently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just really impressed by how she carried herself, how aware she was of herself. And I was just blown away around the conviction and passion that she had and what she wanted to create. I mean, I almost looked at myself as just like, like this is the type of person that I want to be. Um, and, and the type of person that I want to be and help other people become. And so uh, basically anything that she said, um, I was – um, I was going to do, and her name is uh, Marie uh, DeVoe, by the way, and she is actually also a coach. And she recommended that I come in for um, a program weekend as just an um, observer. Mm-hmm. And when I when I joined, I just loved 
everything that I saw. I loved all of the coaches there, people who were in one place who were there specifically to try and be better people and be better coaches to like help make the world a better place. I just thought that was amazing. And I really loved that all the coaches were basically coaching each other. And then you have the program coaches in there who were coaching the coaches. Right. So it was just this massive, it was almost like coaching squared. So I just sat there for an hour and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I was blown away by it. And I said, this is just the environment that I want to be. And this is, and when I, <laughs> when I saw Christine Sachs, when I saw her coach, that was like the visceral moment for me where I said, that is the ability that I want to have as a human being mm. and be able to help other people. Right. Uh, I mean, I, again, my coaching scope is, you know, still somewhat limited. I'm still learning this space, but I mean, she's the Michael Jordan of coaches in my eyes. Right. I mean, the woman is just, <laughs> I mean, she's sensational. I mean, I just, it blows my mind. Right. And to think that, you know, of course, you know, she's been doing this, what, somewhere between eight to 10 years. Uh, I mean, I mean, thousands of hours of coaching, mm -hmm. but when I saw that, I just, it just really resonated with me in terms of like, this is something that I want to do in order to help other people. And I think it's going to be a great tool in my toolkit, in my general umbrella or my purpose umbrella of just of, of helping others and be the best version of themselves. So, uh, you know, when I saw that, uh, I jumped right in despite, uh, I guess I'll use some coaching lingo here on my survival mechanism telling me that, <laughs> hey, Austin, you got to know all the information. You got to know all the detail before you do this. Right. Have you looked at the price for this? And, uh, but I, you know, I just did it. And, uh, you know, four and a half, five months into the journey, it has been um, worth every moment and every penny. Right. Uh, so it's, 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 it's been really cool. That is so cool. unusual kind of journey to coaching, but uh, I'm here and uh, I'm stuck with it. Right. <laughs> well, it's interesting when you mention the athletic coaching, because I, I've heard recently, like, that's a really actually interesting description for people that don't know what life coaching is or how to think about it is, um, you know, I heard it broken down. That if you think of like the world, world-class performers, right, they all have coaches and they implement coaches in, in everything they do. Um, so really it's kind of an extension of that or an expansion of that. Like, why not follow that model in your life, right? If that's what the top performers in the world do. Evan, you hit the nail on the head. And that's what I was thinking as I've learned more about this. I feel like in our society, we always, particularly in our adolescence, we always have some type of support structure, mm -hmm. a coach, a teacher that's helping us guide us to, you know, process our emotions, to work on our techniques, to work on our studies. And then at some point, basically kind of when you get into like early adulthood, that basically stops. You know, unless you have a really committed, perhaps, manager or mentor, I think a lot of people don't have anybody that kind of challenges them or, or challenges them to look kind of introspectively and ask why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think people just kind of just go. And, you know, when you think about this, like when I played football, and again, it's like I needed somebody to help at least you know, guide the techniques that I was doing or mm -hmm. help me understand the strategy or how I fit into the scheme of the defense, so to speak. Right. So again, of course, a game and life coaching is diff different, but there are some parallels there in terms of, I just think it's so informative, uh, you know, particularly as adults. And we have, we live in a world where we have so many distractions, so many responsibilities. I think it's very difficult to take the time to say, Hey, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or what am I even trying to create within this three month period of my life? Mm -hmm. This one year period, three, five, however long you want to 
uh, project or forecast. And having somebody to work with that has your best interest in mind, that is going and supporting your agenda, not theirs, and is really just there to listen, be a sounding board, to bring awareness to things that are so close to your face, sometimes you can't even see, which is the, which is the crazy part. Right. I mean, as, as somebody who's been coached and who also coaches, the craziest moments that I have with my clients, I feel like are the simplest ones where, you know, I might mention something that I think is pretty obvious based off of somebody's share. And then the client goes, what? Right. Oh my, like, I never, it, it was right there, you know? And I've had those own moments myself and I'm just like, there are just some things that are just so close to us and are just so in our right. ways of being that we can't see it. So it's incredibly, incredibly helpful to have somebody just there in your corner uh, to help bring awareness to that. And I think that's one of the beauties of this as somebody who has been coached and who is a coach. Mm. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> it really is. And it's, you know, it's, it's not... Uh, Maybe one misconception also is it's not so it's, you know, as one thing we learn quickly is what's the difference between coaching and consulting. Right. So a, yeah. a lot of this isn't when I first was looking and working with a coach, I expected someone's going to tell me what to do. I probably, you know, I really thought oh. it was more consulting, like, you know, give me the answers yeah. and this. The hard yeah. part is I'm paying for this. I want this. Like, give me the answer. Like, yeah, that's what I'm here tell for. Me, tell me what yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. That's the hardest part is it's someone forcing you as the client to really do the hard work yourself. You know, um, you know, I have moments before a call with my coach and I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy to do this today, man, you know, cause it's, it is, it's hard. It forces you to like yeah. sit down and do some work, you know? Um, so it's cool. Yeah. It, it, it. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think that point is so unique. And I think it even just deserves just like a moment in itself because, I think that was a big adjustment for me because I used to think of a coach, particularly in, again, my experience of it. Hey, if my football coach is telling me something, he is the subject matter expert here. Right. Like what he says goes right. versus in this, you know, the subject matter expert is the client because mm -hmm. nobody knows the client like the client, right? Just like nobody else knows Austin like Austin. Right. And I think the value in itself is just sitting back there and making the client look introspectively and mm -hmm. kind of do the work and answer the questions that maybe they might not have order, ordinarily looked at or taken the time to dive deeper into looking to right. um, is, 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 is extremely, extremely valuable, at least from my personal perspective and, you know, what my clients and other coaches have shared with me. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Um, so you touched on a couple times your, uh, your, your college career, your defensive back at University of Maryland. So where did you play high school football? Yes. So I played in Northern Virginia. I went to Langley High School. Okay. And I was a Saxon. Yes. Nice. So were you recruited out of high school? So, yeah, I have an interesting uh, high school story. So as a precursor to this, so my father was actually a professional football player. Mm -hmm. uh, he grew up, uh, we grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. He was a Super Bowl champion with the Washington Redskins, um, a member of the original Hogs. So, uh, yeah, he, he holds some weight uh, in D.C. And um, so it's interesting growing up being the son of a professional football player mm -hmm. because everyone also just, it just has these expectations from you. It's like, oh, well, you know, your dad was a professional football player, so 
you're going to be this. Right. And um, I'll even put a sidebar into this. Remind me to come back to this later. Even just like the race perception. I grew up in a, uh, a very affluent neighborhood. So I was generally growing up until I reached college, typically the only African-American in most of my circles. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole nother context that we can talk through there in terms of what people expect and stereotypes just from being a person of color. But like I said, sidebar. Right. Um, and it was, um, you know, dad didn't actually let us play football until we were high school uh, freshman in college or excuse me, freshman in high school. Right. And we, I, you know, I was, I always kind of questioned that. And now as an older person who has gone and played years of football and seen, you know, just the, the wear and tear that it does on the body. Mm. He wanted to make sure that our bodies were um, at a state to handle the physicality of the game, which I do respect him for. It didn't make sense at the time, though. Right. And probably, so I only had four years. He was probably ahead of his time for that thinking, you know? Oh, I mean, you know what? It, looking back at it now, when right. you're seeing it, particularly, you know, with the concussions and everything. Yeah. So, uh, so I say that in a sense, I, I felt like I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I don't mm. think I hit my stride until my junior or senior year of college and, or excuse me, of high school. And you know, right as I was finishing my high school career, I felt like I was just scratching the surface. Like, I feel like I'm just starting to get this thing together. So I was looking at a few different schools, uh, Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia. And um, ultimately, I felt most comfortable with the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, they had offered me a preferred walk-on slot. So um, they weren't at a position to be able to give me a scholarship yet based on what they've seen, but that was somebody who was on their radar. Right. And I could have had the opportunity to potentially go to Virginia Tech, but they were more so, well, we're going to go through our spring practices, and if we have space, like, we'll may maybe we'll offer you a spot. And I just felt most comfortable at University of Maryland. Right. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a tremendous decision. Uh, so I, <laughs> it was funny going from a – uh, athlete who wasn't overly recruited in high school, but you know, I ended up playing in 49 at a career 50 games at the university of Maryland. <laughs> um, I, you know, I found my niche. I was primarily a special teams player my first two years. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, my junior and senior years, I worked into the defense rotation, but, um, and I just, I loved being a part of a team. I, I took great pride in, in my role on the team. And, uh, it was, it was a tremendous experience. Uh, so yeah, I, um, yeah, I loved it. That's amazing. What's so a, sure. uh, <laughs> yeah. what's a career highlight for you personally? And then, uh, what's like a big, big team moment that you had while you were there? Oh, career highlight. Wow. Um, you know, I'll say there's never, I, I don't think I'll ever forget the moment I got my first sack. It was my junior year. We were playing wake forest for our, um, this was ACC, so we weren't Big Ten yet. Right. Um, for our homecoming game in 2010, and we had a blitz package set. I still remember the call today. Pistol. It was a B gap blitz, and uh, our defensive coordinator Don Brown, who's actually the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan right now, uh, he loves to blitz, and so we had. He loved safeties too, so it was a great position for, to play at the time. Right. So we had three or four package safeties at times. So. We had our pup package, which I still remember to this day, which was their third safety in the game. And when I saw him give this sign, which meant pistol, B-gap blitz, I was like, this is my shot. This is it. Don't mess it up. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. You try and disguise the blitz. So, you know, the offense, right. um, you know, doesn't check out of it. 
But I just got so trigger happy right as up to the snap. I'm right in the B gap. And I think the offensive line thought maybe I was like bluffing because I was like, why is he coming up so early? So the second the ball was snapped, (laughs) the C's opened and they didn't touch me. And so I'm barreling through. And it was just the running back. And like there was nothing, there was no force on earth that was going to stop me from getting this quarterback. So I truck stick, blow the running back up. And I take the quarterback down and I sack him. And then I just black out after that. You know, <laughs> I, as I was watching the footage afterwards, I was just like yelling and screaming afterwards. And right. It was so funny because my brother and my best friend, my brother also played at University of Maryland with me, which is also a great, unique experience, too. But they were both like they're progressing up watching me. They're both just like, yes, yes. So, yeah, it was just that was a great moment. Um just the culmination of, again, being in a situation where in high school, not overly recruited, um, even had some of my best friends being like, you sure you can play at Maryland? Like, right. I don't know. And, but just having belief in yourself and what you can do. And I think that was just the, I don't know, just the breakthrough moment where I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I was really proud of that. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And in terms of team moment, uh, well, team success always trumps individual success, in my eyes at least. And our best year was our 2010 year. Uh, we were 9-4. and four, We were military bowl champions. Um, our best year at Maryland, we were always one game away from going to the ACC championship game. Mm. And we always had to beat Florida State, and it was Florida State at home, and we always got demolished in front of a sold out crowd, all blackout uniforms. And it was just that one game we could just never get past Florida state at the right. time. But that year we were tremendous. Uh, I mean, we had Torrey Smith as our key out ride receiver. Uh, you know, he played for the Ravens, the Eagles, our defense was stacked. Danny O'Brien was the 2010 ACC quarterback of the year that year. I mean, we had a, we had a really loaded squad and, what was funny is we had a two and 10 season the year before. Right. And just to watch kind of going from really struggling, nobody really giving us much respect to come back that 2010 year, Ralph Friedgen, our coach who gave me my opportunity. I'll forever be thankful to him. ACC coach of the year that year. Uh, I mean, we just had a really tremendously tight, close knit team. And there's just something beautiful about when nobody cares who gets the shine. It's only matters what the team success is. And everybody embraces their role i mean it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it mm-hmm. and um you know we had that that year so we were military bowl champions right in dc even though we got shafted a little bit of our bowl game because we were the third best team in the acc and ended up going to like the seventh best bowl All right. but we didn't let that stop us <laughs> you know we dominated the ecu uh did get my second sack in that bowl game which nice. again black another blackout moment but it was uh it was yeah that was that was that's good. You just reliving this to me. I'm like, wow. Like, right. You know, sometimes you get so far from the game, you're like, wow, I, I did play football. Sometimes I forget, I forget sometimes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're in like the sales world and you forget that, hey, man. I yeah. Actually, you know, it's like I've had some career yeah. sacks. You know what I'm saying? Any, uh... <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, man, I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. That's very cool. Um, that's so awesome. I mean, it's it's got to be amazing to uh, to get to that level, especially you know, like going from walk on to um, to being in those positions and playing in the number of games you played in. It's intense. Yeah, and I, I was for I did earn a scholarship too, mm-hmm. so I, you know that did come, which I guess was the second kind of like okay, you know, I, I belong here. Right. Um, but yeah, it was it was a tremendous opportunity. 
you know, just being a part of a team. I mean, it's shaped. I, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today without, you know, my experience there. So no. I am, you know, forever grateful and I'm going to forever be a Turk. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the state of race in the world, because you touched on you had you had the sidebar about how you grew up. Um, and then I encourage people to listen to your Perpenticity episode 12, which is kind of a like check in on the current events. Um, and actually that episode helped me because, um, I think sometimes these issues become so big. You think about what could I possibly do? And I liked how you guys boiled it down to basically, you know, I would call the theme of that use your voice, you know, whatever, whatever that means for you and whatever, you know, it's basically like make a difference in the way you can and what you have is your voice. So use it. Um, so I like that. So I, I left your episode with like, I felt like I had some, you know, actionable things, you know, I could do and it gave me some ideas. Um, so, you know, what's your take on things and, and what are you doing personally? Well, that's an excellent, uh, I'm glad you had that takeaway and that's exactly what we want our listeners to take away from this. Look, what we're dealing with is um, a very complex problem that is deeply rooted into the fabric of our country. I mean, it is systemic racism. So I know there's been a lot of talk, and particularly around police reform over the past few weeks, where police have been, you know, murdering, um, you know, black men and women um, unarmed, mm-hmm. uh, completely just, you know, um, unlawful, unjustifiable. And I think it's easy to get caught into the, okay, there's a police reform here, but this is a much larger ism with systemic racism. And, you know, the last few weeks have been particularly triggering for me because, hey, we've all seen, you know, a number of, you know, black men and women be murdered, even in just the past 12 or 18 months. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. And, you know, there was just something different. I think it was just visceral about seeing that cop, you know, dig his knee into a man's neck i mean i it was it was a modern day lynching i I mean that that's that's what i left from seeing that i mean i heard somebody else talking about this the other day i mean you look at like history books and you go back and you look at you know black men and women hanging from trees Mm -hmm. and you think how was that a reality at some point right and then you look at 2020 and you know it's, it's still happening it's just in a different way so you know when i saw that and then i saw Trump's tweet the following day, and I don't follow him. Somebody sent it to me, and he was saying something along like, like these thugs, like we're stopping, like with all the attention being on the rioting and the looting, without addressing the central issue here, which was that black lives, black people are continuing to die at a much higher rate due to the police of of anybody else. And I I, I just had this moment where I said, you know, I'm I have to take a stand, like I will not just sit by idly and allow this to continue. So, because I, there's so many, and I, there's so many emotions, I guess, that are flowing through my head, even as I'm recounting this right now, because really my first thought of this was like, I'm, I, I'm disempowered, like, Oh, it's just another death. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to process this and it's like, you know what? I, I have the, what, what I can do to make a difference is use my voice and use my platforms to call out what I believe is decisive racist or discriminatory behavior period i don't care if that's the president of the united states i don't care if that's my mother and father i don't care if that's my friends i don't care if that's my boss wrong is wrong and i think from an individual perspective that's what each person can do and can take control of 
to better create the reality that we that most of us I'd say want to live in, which is one where people are not judged by the color of their skin. Mm. So that that's basically what I've been doing. If I see this type of behavior, um, you know, I'm going to call it out. And I think it's a very interesting walk that we're doing nowadays. And and I also credit, you know, some of my coaching training in support of this and helping people see what might be so close to them that they can't recognize as, you know, bad behavior. Right. So for example, there's a lot of people out here in our country who have racist tendencies, who have racist thoughts, who have racist behaviors, but it's so close to their face and it's been become such ingrained in their life, they don't identify it as racist as racism. So I think there's a particular responsibility as even as coaches as us to bring awareness to that. And I think that's what we're seeing really around the country right now. It's a lot of people, particular, um, you know, non, uh, people of color are looking at this and saying, wow, I, I don't know if I would have looked at this from this point of view. Uh, so look, there's, there's a lot and I could probably talk on this, you know, for hours, but I'd say encourage Everybody has a voice, and I don't mean, and, and I encourage everybody to use that in support of whatever it is that they want to create. But that's also different for different people. Mm. That doesn't mean that you have to go on on Facebook and you know do these diatribes and you know connect and call out everything you see or have conversations with every person you're walking down the street. I think it's each individual has to understand like what makes sense for me. How do I want to use my voice? Do I want to educate myself? Do I want to donate? Do I want to have conversations with friends and family? Do I want to talk about this with my inner circle? Uh, do I want to protest? Um, so that's when we as people don't believe that our voice matters. Mm. I think that's when we're disempowering ourselves. And every single voice matters, particularly with the advent of social media today. I mean, you could tweet something, you could put something out there, and it can go viral. I mean, in a matter of hours. So I think it's been really encouraging as a person of color just to see how long the conversation has continued to stay prevalent. Mm -hmm. And also just the reform that we've seen um, around our country already. I mean, various police organizations are – um, you know, stripping funding or completely rewriting what they deem as policing. I mean, we're having specific laws go into effect here, but more than anything, I just think it's top of mind for people. Right. And people are starting to recognize that the experience for a black man in the United States is different than a black or excuse me, a white man in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, just to keep it simple, of course, there's other different groups and minorities here, but sure. um, and I think you know, I mean, ultimately, I want to live in a world where, you know, the white experience, the black experience, they don't exist anymore. It's just the human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the key. Um, it's interesting, too. You, you said it um, is using that voice, like no matter what the setting or who the other person is. And and I think that's what happens, too, is like like you mentioned, whether it's your, you know, the president, your boss or whoever, like you think about it like probably in the past there were times where people were like, well, you know, it's not appropriate to talk about this in the workplace. So that's where maybe certain behaviors become acceptable because no one talks about it, you know, or, um, so I think that's like a big distinction is like, you know, having it kind of across the board. And I think that probably really ties in with authenticity or purpose, right. Is like, you are who you are no matter where or when, you know, and just, and using your voice that way. 
you, you hit the nail on the head, and that's why. So our podcast, Purpose This, we release every two weeks, and uh, we were actually four days into the our previous podcast release, and then the George Floyd murder happened, mm-hmm. and then that the outcry from America, and we said, hey, we you know we've got to we've got to talk about this. Right. So we recorded a podcast that day, and. I mean, it was probably our most raw podcast to date because there was just so much emotion there. And right. look, that that is authenticity. We felt compelled. We felt that we needed to use our voice, our platform mm-hmm. to spread this message. And I, you touched on something that I think is very important. It's that this is an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people. I mean, you know, having that conversation in the workplace setting, there's really no – manual there's no uh, you know playbook for that because it typically doesn't happen right you know now you're talking about well are my beliefs going to get in the way of my income and you know how i'm perceived at work but uh, i mean those are the conversations that i think people are more apt to having nowadays but i think the toughest ones and the most uncomfortable are with your friends and family mm. because those are the relationships that you that you care for the most and there are people who you love very closely i know in my personal experience i mean i have very close family members who um, have opposing views on this. And it's tough because I, you know, I love those family members, like no matter what, I mean, I I love them, but it's also, I can't for the life of me understand how they view the world the way that they do. Mm. And again, all I can do is have the conversation and try and bring awareness. And I don't think people fully grasp yet how important just having the conversation alone right. can be. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that is enough. So, um, I, I said, just continue to encourage to have the uncomfortable conversations. And I'd say if, if it feels uncomfortable, you're probably on the right track. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, it is. And it's, I think that's, you know, the key is to kind of break through that uncomfortability, you know, because probably if you're uncomfortable, someone else is as well. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, that's usually <laughs> yeah, the case I, also, I, right? You know? but, but, but that's life, right? right? I mean, look, uh, there's going to be uncomfortable moments in life. There are going to be moments of challenge in life and mm-hmm. you can't avoid them. You right. have to have those. It's part of the human experience. And when we're talking about equality for all, particularly when lives are at stake here, mm-hmm. um, opportunity for how people are going to be perceived is just it's, it's 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 incredibly important, and it's been encouraging thus far. I'd say you know ten or twelve days into this thing, for the response that we've seen, I say we got to keep our foot on the gas, and we have to continue to do this. Um, you know, I think it's very similar to you know kind of the coronavirus virus pandemic. Like things are going to be different forever mm-hmm. after this pandemic, right. just how we operate our safety procedures, um, how we respond to a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say that the things are going to be different, you know, after this, um, latest social out, you know, um, I guess unrest in our country mm. things are going to be different. You can't go back to the way that they were. Right. Right. That's true. Um, so I am curious, like in the last six days or so you've been driving across the country, um, you know, I'm curious about that experience on its own, but like, have you, what have you noticed like traveling at this time? Like, are there different reactions in different parts of the country? What's going on? Yeah. You know, this is a, just, this is just 2020. I'm telling you, it's been a year. Um, so it's a little bit of context before this. So I live in Brooklyn, New York, and for the past 12 weeks, I mean, I'd literally been in the four walls of my apartment for mm. about 98.5% of my time. Wow. You know, my exceptions being to go to the grocery store or pick up food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was at the point where I said, Hey, 
and I have the ability to work remotely. Uh, so why not? I've always wanted to travel across the country. So, you know, this seems like as good as time as any to do it. Right. So it's been an incredible experience in itself. But we started our uh, road trip the first day or really the second day of, you know, the riding uh, around the country mm-hmm. and the, the protests. So as we continue to drive across the United States, east to west, I mean, Columbus was our Ohio is our first day. Um, we walked around the Supreme Court in Ohio uh, that morning before we, you know, hit the road, and we saw literally the um, the effects of the the rioting and the looting. I mean, graffiti all over the place, uh, windows cracked, uh, you know, businesses boarded up. So it's just been it's been just a, a very unique experience, and you know, there's a couple of different responses or thoughts to it. It's you know when I think it's a Martin Luther King quote. Or quote something along the lines of, "What protests are the voices of the unheard?" Mm. You know, it's just it, 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 when you see the effect of this, you really think, "Wow!" Like, what would compel somebody to do this? And it's just—I think it just goes to show how fed up you know a group of people in our country are, and they feel that their voices aren't being heard. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, it's so fascinating. I think everyone kind of remembers the Colin Kaepernick situation about four years ago, right. which is the perfect example of a peaceful protest. And, you know, he was crucified for that, for taking a, a knee during the national anthem to bringing light to this very issue right. that people are protesting for today. And, you know, it's so funny to see or it's interesting, rather, to hear people say, well, people shouldn't be rioting and looting well, hey, we did the peaceful protest, right. and voices weren't heard. And it's like, well, why is also rioting and looting your chief concern here? Because or, as opposed to looking at why this is happening, mm. and why it's happening is because people look that look like me are being killed and being murdered. So, you know, it, like I said, it's, it's been fascinating. As we drove through St. Louis, we were looking at the goal at the um, – I think it's just called the arch. Right. And right as we were out there, literally a protest came right through there. And so uh, we were fortunate. We got the opportunity to take part in that peaceful protest, of course. So it's just been a very unique experience to go across the country, see the response in basically every city that we've gone through. There's been some type of protests. Um, and so it, it's, been, it's been, I'd say it's been, it's been encouraging. It's, I just can't remember a time where, the entire country, I feel like, has been unified in terms of bringing awareness to racial inequalities. Right. So, you know, I I almost liken it back to, of course, I wasn't alive during you know the the, you know, the 1960s civil rights movement, but you know, seeing these protests in like history books, I think we're this is what's happening now is going to be in history books, and our kids are going to be reading about this and learning about this and to be a part of it again it's just been an extremely visceral experience and um again i think it's something that's going to be long lasting people i think it's going to be impossible or very very difficult for people to forget how they felt during the past two weeks right yeah it's a crazy time for sure um yeah yeah i I will say because i I don't know if i directly answered your question but i will say it's just kind of round out the, the road trip. It has been tremendously beneficial just from a mental health perspective, right. you know, from coming off basically three months of, 
you know, COVID and the trauma. I mean, I don't think people understand. Like, that was a trauma. That was a national trauma. It wasn't mm. just, oh, hey, we're hanging out at home for three months. Right. And then to have, you know, the string of murders and then the national protests on top of that, it's just been an incredibly mentally taxing time for a lot of people. And I'd say specifically, you know, of course, with the last two weeks for black people mm. in, uh, in our country. Right. So they have the opportunity to somewhat take a, I don't know if you could actually say take a break from it because you don't ever take a break from being black. <laughs> um, but just, from, you know, but just from to being out of the action, you know, being able to see the beautiful geographies and terrain that our country does have. Mm. Uh, it's, it's been a nice change of pace. Yeah, that's cool. So, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think just for people like in different parts of the country, maybe don't appreciate how, you know, you being in Brooklyn, like, like you said, you were, your lockdown was a lot more intense than people. You know, I have some friends in Virginia also, and they're like, yeah, we have like one case in our County and, you know, like restaurants might be closed, but like, you know, it's kind of business as usual. Like in the city, people were really not straying from their apartments too much at all. Right. Well, and look, the parallels between these two traumas that we've had are, are fascinating because with the coronavirus, it was, I mean, it was in the Northeast, particularly New York City, I mean, it's the worst place in the world. Right. But as you drive west, I mean, there's places, you know, St. Louis, Ohio, Indiana. I mean, I'm telling you, you wouldn't even know that coronavirus happens in some places. Right. I mean, we were staying at a hotel in Denver, and the concierge didn't even wear, well, didn't even have a mask on. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, people are sitting here, you know, at restaurant. I mean, we had our first dine-in in Kansas City, and that was not because that was they used distancing, but in Denver, I mean, that's a pretty big city. Right. I mean, the restaurant. I mean, I felt uncomfortable being in a restaurant with about forty people. I was like, oh, you know, what? so it, it, it's it's interesting just people's perspective you know it's, it's almost a, if something right. doesn't affect you mm-hmm. you tend to not really care about it right so look at the parallels between systemic racism in our country mm-hmm. if it doesn't affect you you tend not to care about it right so um I, again i think it's just you know bringing awareness to it mm-hmm. and um just understanding a different point of view so perhaps people in areas that weren't as affected um, by the coronavirus, understanding that in other parts of this country, it's it's extreme. It, it, people have been extremely impacted, and I mean, we've lost literally th- over a hundred thousand lives because of this. And so that your actions do make a difference in containing and controlling this. Just like with systemic racism, the ideals, the values that you carry, even as a non-person of color, impact my experience or the experience of people who look like me. And in trying to create and bring awareness to the reality that we all want to live in, which is one where, again, of equality for all people. So it's just I think it's just so important. The the parallels between these two events that have happened is that first you have to recognize it and acknowledge it. And then I think just the individual personal responsibility of what are you going to do to try and be a part of the solution? Right. That is cool. Um, So you made it through Denver. You're in Vegas now. What's uh yeah. what's left on the itinerary? So the original destination was San Diego, California. Mm-hmm. So we've got one more day in Vegas. And you know, it's even interesting being in Vegas. This isn't a traditional Vegas experience. Right. Uh, I'm here with my girlfriend and she's never been to Vegas before. So it's I liken it almost to having been in New York in April. 
where you're walking down Fifth Avenue or you're at Radio Music City Hall and it is deserted. Right. I mean, it literally looks like a picture from, you know, I Am Legend. I mean, <laughs> you'll never see, I hope, New York City that quiet ever again. Right. And it's kind of similar here in Vegas. I don't think you'll ever see Vegas. I mean, there's whole casinos that, I mean, the lights are off. Mm. I mean, they've, so they're, they've started reopening. And so you're starting to see some people out and about. And I had to say, I actually have been pretty impressed with their social distancing protocols and safety. I mean, they got hand sanitizer everywhere. They've got glasses up. Right. So it, it's, it's a unique experience rather, but I, you know, you, what is kind of universal is, you know, poolside, you know, 90 degree sun. So that is a nice change of pace from cool. uh, Brooklyn in my apartment. Uh, so yeah, we're going to drive through Death Valley. We will uh, end up in Los Angeles, Santa Ana. I've got a family out there and then end up, you know, spend a day or two in San Diego and um, we'll fly back to the tri-state area towards the end of or early next week. Oh, that's cool. That's a pretty awesome yeah. trip. Or maybe, or maybe we'll stay. Who knows? We'll yeah. see. So <laughs> it's very, yeah, the itinerary is very loose here. That's very cool. loose. Uh, yeah, you never yeah. know. I mean, you could become a, you know, remote working person full time, right? You know what? Whatever, whatever, you know, whatever the organization needs for me, right. you know, I'll be there. If I have to, if I have to bear this burden remote and do my work by the pool, then Evan, so be it. <laughs> See, you're still a team player after all these years out of college. <laughs> exactly. Always, always, always. <laughs> That's really cool. All right, Austin, I appreciate yeah. your time and thanks for uh, talking with everybody. Um, for people that want to work with you as a coach, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. Um, I pre first off, I appreciate you having me. And for anybody who is interested in exploring coaching services, you can shoot me an email. Uh, do you want me to just share my email here on this or do you want to put it, uh, somewhere after the podcast? You can do both. We'll put I'll, it in the notes, but okay. go ahead and shout it I, out. Yeah. I'll just say you can uh, shoot me an email at R a Walker two nine at gmail.com. Or you can follow, um, our, our podcast page at Perpenticity, P-U-R-P-E-N-T-H-I-C-I-T-Y. I know it's a mouthful, but that's <laughs> so cool. that's our podcast platform um, where Derek and I co-host. Um, like I said, all of our content is there, and there also is a link to uh, my coaching services there. But yeah, feel free to shoot me an email, even if you'd just like to have exploratory conversations, better understand how exactly that it is that I am working with my clients and explore the possibilities uh, in your life through a coaching relationship. I, I'd love the opportunity to to work with you. That's cool. Uh, I appreciate it. I definitely encourage everyone to check out the Perpenticity podcast. Um, you can get it in the Apple uh, podcast section. Um, particularly, you know, you mentioned a couple episodes recently, episode 12 was a recent, you know, kind of, um, in response to, to current events, um, like an unscheduled special podcast basically. And then episode 10, you talk a lot about finding your purpose. And I think that's a, a cool one for people to explore also. For sure. Episode 10, uh, who are you? Again, it's asking a very, very simple, but heavyweighted question is, who are you? Right. What do you stand for? And we're not just talking about what you do or where you live. We're talking about like the essence of who you are as an individual. Right. And uh, yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. So certainly encourage people to take a listen to that. Uh, feel free to engage in our social media platforms. And yeah, we're, we're here for you.
That's cool. And check out Perpenticity also on Instagram at Perpenticity. Uh, Austin, thanks very much. Safe travels for the rest of the way. Um, and look forward to a day we connect in person again soon. Yeah, what a thought. Who knows when it'll be, but I'm Never looking know. forward to it. And uh, yeah, I love what you're doing, Evan. Uh, keep up the positive work, man. And I'm so uh, very appreciative of you having me or, or me having me on your podcast. No problem. Uh, thanks, Austin. Once <laughs> again, I'm Evan Balmer. Follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer.